I say that in jest, but also in truth. Uh, we, if you're new with us, we are simply a people who love Jesus. We want to know him. We want to follow him. We want to serve him with our lives. Uh, we don't claim to be perfect, and you're not going to find a perfect church here, uh, but you're going to find a group of people who know a perfect God who is, who is shaping us and conforming us into his image, who is working through our brokenness uh, to bring uh, hope and healing to a broken world. I hope you're greeted with a warm uh, smile and, and maybe a handshake when you came in. Um, but we gather together simply to look at God's word, to worship with him, to sing songs that remind of us of his goodness and his faithfulness. And then we look at his word and see what it has to say to us individually and corporately as we gather together today and then we go out and scatter into the world. We very much believe that God has called his people, all of his people, into ministry. Uh, he's called all of his people to serve him in the world. Um, and that you don't need a special title or a position to do that. You simply need to trust and obey and, and, and rely in dependence on our faithful God. And that in the place that he has you, he has a purpose for you. Uh, not to just exist. Not to let life just pass by. But that he can actually do a miraculous work in and through you like he's done in, in and to you. And so we gather every week looking at his word, trying to see, Lord, what are you saying to me? And how are you equipping me to do your work in this world? Um, how many of you saw God work last week? That's awesome. Right, we were, we were in Haggai. We were in Haggai. Uh, so if, you're, if you have your Bibles or if you don't have one, there's one sitting in front of you. If you don't own one, take it with you. It's yours to keep. Uh, but we, we've been in this book, uh, it's at the end of the Old Testament, so if you don't know where it is, easy way to get there is go to the New Testament, Matthew, turn back three books. Uh, so Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. And we looked last week that God, <coughs> God encourages his people, he reminds them of their identity, he uses small people to do great things. He works through his people today, and he's able to do things in his people today that are greater than the things that have happened in the past. And a lot of times we spend our lives looking backwards and wishing things were the way they were before, not realizing that the blessing is found in the present, in the present depending on the Lord for today. And that God is able to work through us in the same way that he's worked through people in the past. And that God equips and calls us into work with him. Just like I just said, because of who we are, because of who he is, because of what he's done, he calls, he redeems, he rescues, he reconciles people to himself by the blood of his son on the cross. He raises them new to life because Jesus was raised from the dead. And that when that happens, sinners, broken people, shift from being broken sinners to being saints. Amen. 
And sinful people become righteous people, not because of their behavior or action, but because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. So our identity is no longer a sinner saved by grace, but our identity is a saint who sometimes sins. Christ has broken the power of sin over us, but its presence still is with us, and we're walking in an already but not yet time, waiting for the Lord to return. And so as we dive back into Haggai, this guy, um, this prophet who was the first prophet to speak to God's people after they returned from the exile. These people come back out of Persia. Cyrus sends them out. They go to build God's temple. They work. They clear the foundation. They set the, the altar. They celebrate. They have a feast, a festival, sacrifices. Things are awesome. And then they stop for 16 years. And they misplaced their priorities. And they were suffering. They were suffering from the result of having a misplaced priority. So God sends Haggai to them to bring his word to his people. And when he brings his word to his people, it does something in them. He says to them, consider your ways. Your houses are paneled and beautiful, but my house lies in ruins. You're looking to establish yourself first before you establish what I've sent you to do. You've gotten off mission and, and all the while thinking that you're trying to create a strategic position. You're trying to get your, get your, uh, your farms working. You're trying to get yourself set, settled. And it's producing nothing. And I've been trying to get, the get your attention for 16 years what you've been producing has been producing nothing. And so since you can't, you're not listening, I'm going to my compassion to come and call and speak to you and call you back into what's going to bring blessing into your life. Namely, coming back to put me in priority in your life. And so God's people do. And God starts working. And then they get discouraged. And then God encourages them again. And then we get to chapter 2, Verse 10, and Haggai says this again to the people. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by, the, by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one, heap, one came to a heap of 20 measures, but were 10. And when one came to a wine vat and draw 50 measures, but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight 
and mildew with hail, and yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month since the day that the foundation of the Lord temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn indeed? The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Haggai is a really interesting prophet. It's really interesting to me because you can see the timeline of what God's doing for his people. Right? We know the exact dates when Haggai gives his prophecy. Right? He comes August 29th of 520 BC in the very beginning. Then he comes again on October 17th of 520 BC. And then he speaks again on December 18th of twice 520 BC. And it's right here at December 18th of 520 BC, Haggai comes and reminds the people and gives the people something that will help them through their life. We've already seen God come and try to bring his people out of their misplaced priorities. We've already seen God come and encourage his people, be strong and courageous, do this work. I will shake the nations. I will bring all sorts of things coming in, the treasures of all nations into my place. All the gold is mine. All the silver is mine. I will take care of all this. And then he comes again with this strange statement, reminding them of their past failures. And if you read it in one way, you can say, well, how, that's, that's just kind of mean. You know, kick a kid while he's down. Or you can read it as another way, as a, a, a way of encouragement of God for his people. A God who knows exactly where his people are and what they are going through and what his people actually need in life to be successful. And he starts with this, this weird discussion about cleanliness and uncleanliness. Right? And the main concept here is that it's easier to spread uncleanliness than it is to spread cleanliness. It's easier to spread unrighteousness than it is to spread righteousness. Right? So Haggai speaks to the priest at the time. He asked them a question of Torah. Uh, which is very clearly outlined. God gives his word to his people at Sinai. God gives his directions to his people of how he wants his people to operate in the world. And it is for a blessing for him, not only for them, but also a description of what is going to happen in the future. And he's talking to his people and he's saying, hey, look, if you put holy meat in your garment." When you touch that garment to something else, does that other thing become holy? Well, no. Well, he's referencing something specific there. And I joke oftentimes about having a sermon series in Leviticus, um, which maybe at some time we'll do. Um, but he's referencing Leviticus 6-7 there, which, or 6-27, where he says, whoever touches its flesh shall be holy, talking about a meat that is sacrificed for the sins of the people. Whatever touches the flesh shall be holy. The sins are taken away. Who touches the flesh. The garments become holy. 
When it's any of its blood splashed in a garment, you shall wash it on which it's splashed in a holy place. The, the meat creates a holiness in the garment, but that holiness does not transfer to something else. And it, in another way, right, so you have holiness being transferred to that garment, but that garment doesn't carry it to something else. Unholiness transfers to a person or a garment, and then that unholiness transfers to something else, right? We all know this. Uh, we just went through a pandemic, I think. I don't know if anyone remember about that. There was a whole, all sorts of different theories of how to not spread the sickness. But it all came to the fact that health doesn't spread as easily as sickness spreads, right? Like, as a healthy adult male, I can't go give my sick child a hug and make them healthy. It's common sense, right? It's weird though, isn't it? Like, I can't give my kid my health, but, but he can sure give me that sickness. <laughs> Some of you kids have had the stomach flu go through. Um, that, that is a... That's a fun, fun time. Life teaches this. Sickness is more easily spread than health. Wickedness is more easily spread than holiness. Unrighteousness is more easily spread than righteousness. And the people of God had been experiencing this. They'd seen it. I mean, remember, these people were in bondage for years. They were ripped out of their homeland by an oppressive nation. They were brought to Babylon. The area where Abraham was called originally to come to the area of promise, they were brought back to that place. They are sitting, not able to rule their own life. Someone else told them what to do. The temple to the Lord, their God, was desolate, gone, destroyed. They were second-class citizens at best. And God moved heaven and earth to send them back to rebuild his temple. And there was so much joy and anticipation. I mean, they gave, I think it was somewhere around like $31 million of their, of their own money to rebuilding the temple. And they traveled massive distances on foot to come to a place that they did not know what was there, what they were going to find to rebuild God's temple. And after the celebration, after the, the amazing things that happen, the foundations open, sacrifices are happening again, the fear and the misplaced priorities got them off track. And the difficulty of going towards wholeness that had already started was very easily moved away towards a life off mission and ex not experiencing the blessing of the Lord. 
Because it's easier to spread wickedness than it is holiness. Unrighteousness than it is righteousness. And if we don't keep that in our mind, understanding how quickly we can move off of God's pathway for our life, we can find ourselves in the same kind of trouble very easily. I mean, it's like every morning I almost wake up. All the stuff that I've learned drains out into my pillow and I wake up and it's like, oh, someone stole an hour from me today. And my kids woke up multiple times, you know, like blah, 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 all this stuff and not going, man, what a blessing it is to wake up again. What a blessing it is to live in anticipation for what the Lord may do today. The sun rose. I'm breathing. I have coffee. That's proof that God loves me and wants me to be happy. I feel completely unequipped for what I have before me, but the Lord says that he is with me. I mean, even in Haggai, just a couple verses up, you just read a couple verses up. Fear not, I am with you. Be strong and courageous, I am with you. And that reminder will carry us for a moment, but then the next day comes and we forget the sovereign God of the universe through the actions of his son. And my acceptance of that gift, which is not of any of my own doing, has placed his spirit inside of me. God is literally with me today. Whether I feel it or experience it or anything, he's with me. So no matter what's going on, I can live with anticipation and confidence in the Lord. Or I can start looking at what's around me and allow that to dictate how I'm going to interact in the life, in life. And it's much easier to go that way. Complaining takes little effort. I know I do it often. but I have access and resource to the sovereign king of the universe at all times. Not only that, he's literally praying for me. With things that I don't even know that I need prayer for. When I don't have the words to speak to my needs, the Lord is interceding on my behalf. Is that not amazing? And he does that for you. So Haggai, he's speaking, the Lord is speaking to him and he's asked these questions and he's like, no. And then God says, so it is with this people, with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Right? This is the main part of this, of this entire 
prophecy, this entire prophetic book is to consider your ways. First chapter, twice Haggai says it. Second chapter, and there's only two chapters, three times he says it. Consider your ways. Consider, consider. Think again. Set your heart on the way. Change your perspective. Before, what happened when you were not seeking me first? You went out and you did all the right things. You did everything you're supposed to. Right? They're farmers. Not a lot of us have con- a concept for that. Uh, some of you blessed individuals who want to do the uh, community garden, garden over here will realize the difficulty, the ease and difficulty of farming. Amen to that. Amen to that. Yeah. It is easy and it is difficult. There, you put a seed in the ground, you don't, even have, to, you don't have to do anything. You're not sitting there with a heat gun or, or, what, or whatever. It just, it does what it needs to do. It's easy. God willing. But then there's weeds that come up, right? Where do they come from? <laughs> I'm not, you don't need to answer that question. Um, and even if, even if all of that, all, everything happens well, right? And it grows up and it grows really well. What happens if you get a worm? What happens if it hails? What happens if all the moisture that you have for a while somehow suddenly stops? It's fragile. And these, this is what they live off of. I, don't, I mean, I think we oftentimes forget the subsistence. This, this is where these people were. I put stuff in the ground. I am gambling with the seed that I'm putting in the ground, hoping that it comes back with something. And I'm, I'm le- reading all the armor, farmer's almanacs. I know all the stuff. I mean, my grandpa told me how to, how to plant this olive tree, and I'm doing everything that he asked me to do. And even if I do all the right things, blight, scorching wind can come, mildew, disease can happen in my plants, hail can just rip it all to shreds. And the Lord said, I'm the one who's doing that. And I'm doing it for a purpose, not to punish you, but to get your attention. Because life is more about the immediate things that are around you. Life is more than just becoming comfortable with yourself. True life, true life is found in dependence on me. And knowing me and having a relationship with me. And if you are going after other things to have true life, you will never find them. And the most loving, loving thing that I can do is to make those things not produce what you hope they produce. So that those things will eventually drive you back to myself. Now consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? But one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, but there were 20. And I struck all the products of your toil with blight and mildew and hail, and you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, December 18th, 520 BC, consider right now, 
Set this into your memory. This is the day that I came to rescue you from the brokenness of your life and bring you into blessing. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on I will bless you. God is promising blessing to his people for those who fix their minds on him, who are busy about his business, prioritizing what he wants over what they want. And notice, he's promising the blessing before they even receive it. They're walking in obedience before they even receive the blessing of the good produce in this instance. Right? It's December 18th. This is not when crops are at their best. In Israel, this is when crops go into the ground, and this is when the, the rain season starts. Um, man, we could spend a whole sermon on the weather patterns of Israel and how that applies to the life of his people and how he wants his people to be dependent on them. Because Israel gets 28 inches of, a- of annual rainfall a year. Same as England but they get it all in three months in a row. And if they don't get that rain, they're done. Their harvest is going to have nothing. And as they're investing into the ground, trusting the Lord, the Lord is comforting his people and calling them back to faithfulness and then reminding them of what had happened before when they were not walking with him. Trust me, I will take care of everything. Does this sound familiar to anything that we've read in the New Testament? Why do you worry? Can anyone add a single hour to his life by being anxious? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. God is calling his people into dependence. Now, I want you to notice a couple things in here that should stand out as obvious, but I think I need to make them obvious. Who did God choose to build his temple? This is not a rhetorical question. Who did God choose to build his temple? His people? Okay. What were the state of his people when he called them to build it? Desolate. In this text, what does it say? So it is with the peop- his, this people and with the nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is what? Unclean. God chose an unclean people to build his temple. God chose an unworthy people to build his temple. God decided to clean an unclean people to build his temple. 
Now you read that and then you take it and you understand, okay, this was given in December, December of 520 B.C., Haggai's the first prophet, but Zechariah and Malachi are also prophets in the ex- exile, and Zechariah actually starts his prophecy in the middle of Haggai's prophecy. You can just turn a page over, or maybe it's on the same page. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. Right? We're in the ninth month. And then Zechar- and Haggai before in the, in the seventh month, in the beginning of chapter 2, you have Haggai, then you have Zechariah now starting up. When Haggai comes and faithfully proclaims the word, 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 he inspires someone else to come and faithfully proclaim the word. And now they're working in tandem. Seventh month, eighth month, ninth month. And then after God says to his people, you were unclean, But this day onward, I will bless you. Two months later, the 11th month of the second year of Darius King, we read this, a vision, chapter 3 of Zechariah. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing beside him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, behold, I've taken away your iniquity from, away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. It's at this time and in this context that the Lord is doing that to Joshua. Which, yes, speaks to a future when Jesus will take away our iniquity off of us and clothe us in pure garments. Clothe us in his righteousness. But it speaks to encourage his people of what the Lord has decided to do. Rescue an unclean, filthy people clean them, and use them to build his temple. And he speaks to the high priest. Yes, you are filthy. Why? Because your priorities are off. You're living for yourself. You're living for your own pleasure. And it's not just the people's fault, Joshua. It's not just the people's fault, Zerubbabel. You were going along with them. I know it but I love you and I've chosen you and I am making you clean. And Satan can come try to accuse you. Satan can come try to dissuade you from trusting me. But all of his accusations fall down because what I say matters, not what he does. And so God comes to his people. Look, you have nothing You've been working for everything and it's been producing nothing. But right now, I will bless you. Keep yourself focused on the right things. God chose to bless his people. Just like he's done throughout history. Right? This whole discussion of the meat 
and the garment and the transfer that should immediately help us to remember, well, what, isn't it Jesus who came in and spread his health to people who are unhealthy? Like, didn't Jesus show up and heal the woman who had the discharge for years and years and years and years? Didn't Jesus come and touch a leper? And Jesus didn't get leprosy. The leper got health. Didn't Jesus come and touch the dead boy? Jesus didn't get defiled. The boy became alive. Didn't Jesus come and touch the, the kid who was born blind? Jesus didn't get cursed. The kid could see. Jesus is the one who changes. He is the one who's able to communicate his holiness to a broken people. And then he takes those people and he uses the broken people to do a miraculous things. Any of you ever messed up before? After being a Christian? Who did Jesus use to be the, the forerunner of his church? Peter, right? Hothead Peter. Who denied Jesus. And then what happens in Acts 3? He's walking and a lame beggar's saying, hey, please give me some money. I don't have any, 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 any gold or silver. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. The one who was unclean, who was cleansed by Jesus, took the name of Jesus and brought health to someone who was broken. And I don't, I don't think the text indicates at all that Peter's going, oh, I've got to use this power to get this person. No. By the name of the one who brings health to people who seek for him, rise up and walk. And then Peter, this uneducated fisherman, preaches a sermon right afterwards. You killed the author of life who God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is in through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. Repent, therefore, verse 19, and turn back that your sins may become blotted out. The times of refreshing may become from the presence of the Lord. Is that not the same statement that the Lord is saying to his people? Repent. Turn back from your ways. Trust me so that times of refreshing may come in to you. Look, this is God's prerogative for his people throughout history. It's to bless them. Now, don't get me wrong saying the Christian life is easy. It is not. 
Christian life is simple, but simple is not easy. We, last week I talked about, we, God does not deny the fact that there is difficulty and pain in this life. In fact, he highlights it. There is death, there is destruction, there are people who do wicked things for their own ends and cause destruction to people around you. There are people who think only of themselves and destroy lives. God knows all that. God's made a plan for all that. God has sent himself to rescue us in all of that. God has promised to bless us in the midst of it. And what does blessing look like? Peace in the midst of a storm. But I can have true joy while I'm being bombarded with the waves of this life. That the Lord can work in me an absolute peace from himself. And you're asking, well, how does he do that? Well, he does it when I allow the problems of this life not to drive me away from the Lord, but I start, start looking at them as blessing and opportunities to drive me towards the Lord. When I start understanding that problems are put in my path to help me to abide, that difficulties in this life are training and testing for me not to sit and wallow and complain about, but simply to be a flashing red light. Andrew, you need to depend. Andrew, you need to abide. Andrew, you need to trust the Lord. He's got this. He's going to take care of it. It's all good. Lord, I need you. Lord, I don't know what's going on right now. I can't even feel or experience you right now, but I believe that you exist. I believe that you're going to work this out. I believe that you're going to come through. And so I'm taking the next step of life, choosing to rest in you in the difficulty, which is a very difficult thing to do. But then the Lord slowly grows you through it. And he does that through all life. If we turn our problems into prayer, it will change the highways of destruction into paths of blessing for us. I've said this before, it's not original to me, but I think it it helps me. So I think it will help you. If dependence is the goal, then weakness is our advantage. And by understanding our weakness and considering it and keeping it in its place, it helps us to rest in dependence on God who's able to take us from that position and bring us into blessing. Now, I'm not going to stand here and promise that you do such and such, you're going to have such and such. We just went through a whole series in Jude and false teachers. I'm not stepping in that realm. But I do know this, the Lord will bless those who trust him. Either experience 
experientially, internally now, sometimes physically around, but ultimately that blessing is seen when we're with him. And this short momentary life is but a vapor in comparison to the eternity we get to live with him. So with that, I think the Lord's just calling us this week. Consider your ways. What was your life like before me? What have you been experiencing in the last 10 years when you have claimed to know me, but you have not spent any time with me? Consider your ways. Are you trusting in me or are you trusting in your own ability? Consider your ways. Are you seeing problems as opportunities to gripe and complain? Are you seeing problems as opportunities to see the Lord come through and find rest and trust in him? We have a difficult life, we have a difficult journey, but we have opportunity and blessing ahead of us if we simply will just rest in our good and gracious God who provides everything for us. And the pathway to victory in our life today is the same as the pathway to victory and salvation in Jesus. Resting fully on him, receiving him, depending on him. And that is the posture of our life as we continue with him through this life till he brings us home. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. Lord, I thank you for your spirit who takes the loaves and fishes that you give and he expands it to full buffets. Lord, may you remind your people, myself including, that we can cast our burdens onto you, that you will sustain us, that you will never permit the righteous to be moved. Lord, would we live with dependence on you every day, every moment. And Lord, would you bless your people as they cling to you. In Jesus' name, amen.